Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast with me, your host Sam, and as always, JL. Good evening. How you doing today, man? I'm doing okay. It's been a pretty nice week. I've watched a lot of films. Yeah, yeah, that's all we like to hear. Me too. And uh, this week, uh, we're, we're not alone. We're joined by our first guest. Uh, we're joined by Mr. Johnny. Mr. Johnny <laughs> Bentley. Yes, Mr. Johnny. Uh, definitely not just been to the pub. Um, I'm, yeah, no, to be fair, as I was telling you guys before, you know, this is the first time that I've uh, done a film podcast. Usually it's sports. I've been writing about politics and, polit- and current affairs. Uh, I do blog sometimes a little bit about letterbox, mainly for myself. Um, you know, not necessarily for others. And uh, you know, this is this is a nice opportunity for me to uh, talk about uh, something that I really enjoy. Uh, you know, film in general is a is a really cool 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 thing for me, and something I've always been invested in, uh, but not really got the opportunity to do so. So yeah, it's a lovely stuff, man. So um, where can people find you? Uh, well, it's at Sports Johnny on Twitter. Probably yeah, won't give it on Facebook because then you know that's more of a more of a personal thing, and also yeah, Instagram sure. is. But you know, at Sports Johnny, usually it's about football and sports in general. Really, um, I've been doing a bit of current affairs writing as well. Um, you know, people can have their own opinions on, on on where they stand with that. It's a lot more of a of a diverse topic and has a lot more co- contrasting opinions. But yeah, yeah, generally uh, sports, sometimes current affairs, films, more or less more or less off Twitter really as such but certainly on Letterboxd I'm quite uh, prevalent also on, I think that's John B365 which is also my uh, PS4 username but uh, I'll, I'll don't worry I'll uh, <laughs> I'll reject any strange random requests from, from friends on, on PS4 but uh, certainly on, on Letterboxd yeah I'm always open to seeing what people think about films and you know it, as I say it's, uh, it's a, it, it, I, I love watching films love like to talk about it and um, yeah if anyone wants to follow me on that they're very welcome to otherwise please get me a job on uh, on Twitter uh, or LinkedIn uh, follow me on LinkedIn get me a job I'd be very happy with that um, but yeah, but yeah, letterbox or just follow me on Twitter in general for anything general sporting or current affairs or, or film or uh, at sports Johnny. Uh, letterbox okay. is mainly lovely film. stuff. And uh, and we're gonna start this off with uh, the way we normally do. We're gonna each talk about what we've been watching uh, since the last podcast, um, and obviously Johnny for in the in the more recent history a bit less um, defined by the by the podcast timing. But I mean, I'll start off. Um, Last week I didn't have much to say. I hadn't really been watching too much, but I watched a, a fair few films this week, and uh, a few of them I felt were, uh, were were notable enough to to give them a discussion. Uh, first off, you know, on a bit of a, a happier note than the one the two that follow. First time I'd ever seen it came to Netflix. Lovely bit of '90s semi cheese Truman Show. Beautiful, just love, just love that happy happy shit. You know, it's always you know the next two films I watched are both pressing it was just nice the calm before the storm almost um and uh you, you you're you're a fan of the Truman show and you jl yeah i think me and johnny watch it together at uni actually i'm pretty sure um i've not watched in a while so i can't give too much insight in terms of like analyzing themes and stuff but i remember really liking it and obviously it's one of uh jim carrey's more serious roles alongside eternal sunshine so yeah it was a, it was a good film i liked it it was a good premise and uh pretty good acting as well from, from jim carrey who's obviously normally known for his comedy yeah, it's a bit of a. It reminds me a lot of, in a way, like Groundhog Day. It's like a bit of a gimmick film. They've got this this concept, uh, and then they they 
and then they spend a whole film exploring it and, it, and it's much like that it's, it's got a very 90s feel and, you know i love 90s films and uh definitely for me a personal thing is probably my uh, more my probably say my favorite decade of filmmaking if you look at all my favorite films a good like 85 percent are uh, 90s uh, and following on with that as well the next film I watched uh, this week that I thought was worth knowing about was uh, I finally got around to watching American History X um, which has been on my watch list for a while um, and it's just um, it, it's immense you know I think when it comes to uh, actual uh, acting ability and potential Ed Norton is, is up there um, if, if any living actor really I, I really really think uh, I, I couldn't compliment uh, Edward Norton enough I absolutely am a super fan uh, and um, it was just another example. It was just um, such a, um, uh, a varied performance. It was so, he so clearly shows. He was so good in both the roles of him prior to prison of being this ultra aggressive super Nazi to the way he got out of prison when he was calm and, and he was like more respectful. You know, it's a real good um, kind of juxtaposition of, 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 of roles within the same character that I, I thought was uh, was absolutely excellent and presented some. Um, I guess you know it's a cliche thing to say, but as as more as important uh, today as the day it was released, um, with, with the state, of, especially America, is in right now. Um, and uh, and then lastly, I finally got around to watching. I was trying to, I was going to watch it before the Oscars last year. I didn't watch it. I finally got around to watching Uncut Gems, uh, and I finished that about two or three days ago. And uh, my heart is still pounding a little bit. It, it, that was probably <laughs> the most stressful experience of my entire life. Uh, I came out in cold sweats. I just didn't know what to do. Uh, I'm not going to give away the ending, but it, I'm still kind of a little bit shaking from it. And, and the whole film is just uh, a heart attack p- put on uh, on the silver screen. And um, yeah, it's a great film, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave it a while. What a great film, though. Oh, excellent. And I don't think, um, obviously at the time, I think, yeah, but retrospectively it was not um, treated as well as it should have been when it came to the uh, the Oscars. And um, I think it won a few awards with uh, other uh, film yeah. shows, but it, it didn't do as well at the Oscars uh, as I think it should have. Uh, I watched my other shit this week, like The Wolverine. <laughs> it was on telly the other day. It wasn't very good. But yeah, that's, that's the... Um, the stuff that I've really thought I of note this week, stuff that I was really into uh, and to move it forward. Uh, what, what about you, uh, Jordan, Luke? Well, just on the final note, on your, on your films, you've watched two great films there with comedic actors in serious roles. Yeah, I actually, on, I, I've always had that. a problem with, I've always had a massive problem with Adam Sandler. He's always annoyed me. And, um, and you know, he's in an awful lot of shit. But yeah, I just couldn't believe how good he was in a serious role. I, I can't, I couldn't believe how how well he adapted he was. I, th- I thought, oh, it's going to be Adam Sandler. It's going to be cringy. He's just so <laughs> good. So believable. And such Wait, a likable character, despite the fact he's a dickhead. Have you seen, uh, have you seen <laughs> Good Time? <laughs> No, I've not. Same directors, uh, Robert Pattinson, obviously in a more uh, sort of refined role since the Twilight Saga. Um, obviously going to mm-hmm. be in Batman, and he's been in uh, The Lighthouse and a few other more yeah. sort of serious films recently. But yeah, no, um, that's a really good film as well. Um, I watched that before and cut gems like um, a year or so before, and uh, yeah, definitely would recommend watching that if you liked Uncut Gems. But yeah, um, in terms of what I've been watching. I've been watching quite a lot. I'm not going to go through everything because we'll be here probably yeah. for longer than any other podcast we've done so far. If yeah, you've been about... every other day you've been telling me I watch this, 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 and this. I'm like, oh man, I'm slacking. So since the last pod, I've watched 12 films, I'm pretty sure. That's dedication. One of them is a short, like half an hour film, which Johnny doesn't like. <laughs> so I won't mention it. No, I will mention it. Um, but no, the, uh, Kung Fury. What's that? <laughs> 
Kung Fury, I love Kung Fury. Kung yeah, Fury yeah. slaps, man. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I, won't, I won't go into that one because Johnny will, Johnny will uh, quit the podcast. Um, no, no. I, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, 12 films. Well, if you, 11 and a half if you count that as a short. Um, I've, I've named them all, but I won't talk about all of them in detail. I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Monos, There Will Be Blood, Fruitvale Station, Putney Swope, Sorry to Bother You, which is a rewatch, Fantastic Mr. Fox, the uh, Wes Anderson animated one, uh, Avengers Endgame rewatch, Don't The Dead Don't Die, and Whiplash rewatch. Uh, honestly, the three films I rewatched, I've got all on Letterboxd as five stars, so no wonder I rewatched them all. Um, I rewatched two of them with family, one of them on my own, which was Endgame. The other two I watched with my dad because uh, he hadn't seen them, and I thought they were worth watching. Whiplash, honestly, what a film! So good. Um, I've, I'm think I'm going to end up recommending that for you for next week, Sam. To be honest, because I've debated a few other ones um, throughout the. Throughout the week, I've been thinking, oh, I could make you watch this, I could make you watch that, mm. but Whiplash, you said you haven't seen it, and I've yeah. recently watched it. It's one of those ones where I feel like you're going to have to watch that. I won't talk about it in too much detail, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. There will yes. be blood. I know, Johnny, you've seen that recent, fairly recently. What do you think of that? I thought that was really good. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, good link there. Um, I think it was um, it was excellent. I mean, um, you know, it's Thomas Anderson, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson, yeah. Uh, Paul Thomas Hansen, yeah, um, yeah. Paul Thomas, absolutely. Uh, I've not actually seen Boone Night, um, which is um, something that certainly looks worthwhile. I thought it was excellent. I mean, I thought that the um, there were some overriding themes that was that that, that were prevalent throughout, and um, I thought that uh, Daniel Day Lewis was outstanding, really, as the uh, as the lead. Um, you know, really carried uh, the film and that performance, but also as as I, as I talk about those overriding themes, I think um, you know, uh, you know, you've got cap, you've got almost a critique of capitalism, a, cri- a critique of the of the human spirit, um, you know, uh, a critique of religion. You've got so much going on there in the background, and it all interweaves into something that's really um, that's re- that's really an incredible film. Actually, in many ways, it feels like uh, an odyssey actually in many ways you know it, it feels like uh the film itself starts out doesn't it with you know with 10 minutes of, or 15 minutes of no dialogue whatsoever and it's almost it, it's almost building sort of this uneasy atmosphere this uneasy tension uh something's not quite right and very uh, almost ha, i almost say stanley kubrick-esque um, to, to foreshadow a little bit um, into the into the, into the um, into this uh, podcast, but um, you know it was a I think it was a really phenomenal film, and I don't obviously I'm not going to uh, spoil it for anyone at the end, but the end of There Will Be Blood is outstanding, and and um, you know really um, you know really leaves a statement, and and again I don't really want to delve into it too much just in case anyone hasn't seen it, and uh, in case you guys critique it, but I just thought it was out. I mean I gave it five stars. I think it was on my letterbox of five stars. I think it was a really uh, meaningful and uh, almost Odyssey esque uh, film with uh, a lot to say about um, about uh, certain certain things like certain things like capitalism, certain things like like the working life, certain things like religion, and it had so many exterior things, but it didn't get lost in that. It, it had all these themes, and it had a, a, a characters at the centre of it that we actually uh, sort of followed and cared about. And um, you know, yeah, an absolutely stunning film. It makes me want to watch 
boogie nights yep. you know a hell of a lot more than maybe i did before yeah so really yeah because really i'm currently uh watching through paul tom Anson's films like in chronological order like his features mm. from like start to like the earliest to most recent um so i've now seen hard eight which was his first feature film i've seen boogie nights mm. i've seen magnolia i've seen punch drunk love and then obviously there will be blood and that's his other like yeah. big serious film yeah. um but yeah boogie nights is really good mm. magnolia is really good he's got this thing paul thomas anderson of exploring like you say these really big vast themes of like political and social themes and he does it really well but he does it through kind of really close character studies which kind of seems so mm. like impossible but also it just makes it so much better because like his filmmaking quality because you have these like really big statements about like religion or mm. capitalism or whatever it may be but they don't come from very vague sort of abstracts um sort of plots they come they come from really really close mm. like character studies of like individual characters most of his films i've seen follow really closely like one main character with sort of other characters coming in and out of the story and that for me that's just really really impressive because you're like able to communicate like really big vast sort of themes and stuff through uh like one or two characters so yeah there will be blood would definitely recommend mm. um as, as you said very, very and then good. i'll just touch on yeah. a couple more that like really briefly that i watched so um monos which you might not have heard of um came out last year premiered at a lot of the festivals um, it's now on Netflix, which I didn't actually realise until I saw it on there um, the other day, which is why I watched it, because I wanted to watch it, never got around to seeing it, because um, it was like released very, very sort of sparsely and mainly at a lot of independent cinemas and festivals and stuff. Um, but really good. Another film which explores sort of really big um, concepts, gender, the, the boundary of gender, the ben- the boundary of like geopolitics and social boundaries. Um really interesting story about sort of young ch- even some children um like soldiers uh, in an unnamed southern american uh, country who were holding a hostage um an american hostage i think it is and the the film is basically just exploring uh, their stories as as they're sort of left to their own devices in in the wilderness really um really really good film uh you might not have seen so if you if you've got netflix i would definitely recommend giving that a, giving that a go go in as blind as you can to that one it's one of those films that you definitely get a lot out of if you don't know uh, very much going into it and then finally the dead don't die which i was really looking forward to watching saw the trailer for the trailer sells a completely different film um if you want a comedy zombie parody film, watch Shaun of the Dead or watch Hot Fuzz, uh, not Hot Fuzz, watch Shaun of the Dead or watch uh, Zombieland because this was kind of lost and muddied. Um, I can see what it was trying to do, but it felt very rushed at the end of what it was going for and a lot of films do it better. Uh, it wasn't bad, but it was kind of just good, uh, like average, I'd say. Um, so yeah, if you want to have something on just as a bit of light entertainment, then give it a go. Adam Driver and Bill Murray are pretty good in it. Tilda Swinton's exceptional as always. Um, but if you're expecting some cinema masterpiece, then probably look at other films. Um, but yeah, that's so. Uh, that's what I've been watching this week. Probably will look at the masterpiece Pride and Prejudice and Zombies featuring yeah, that one. Doctor Who's own Matt Smith. <laughs> uh, okay, before we go into the news, uh, Johnny, is there anything you've been watching uh, as of recently that uh, that you you think? I have actually. Yeah, uh, other than the football, which I've been trying to report on, I have I have found a bit of time for, 
for some for some movies and actually some good ones. Um, Unsane, I didn't particularly like. I know uh, JL thinks differently about that based on his letterbox review. For me, I think it was very good with the um, you know the use of the iPhones to film the the whole film. I thought that was ex- uh, exceptional sort of. Um, you know, uh, 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 well, a very unique way, a very unique way of filming, um, filming a film. But uh, for me, I just think when I'm looking at it as a film, which is, you know, I look, I look at it as, a, do I like the plot? Do I like the characters? Do I like the way this film is going? I think I, I just feel like about halfway through, I lost um, some kind of sense of where this film was going. I mean, to, to me, it was, um, you know, uh, it, 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 I was really tested up until about halfway through. I thought, you know, the, the lead character, I'm sure Joe will uh, agree, uh, Claire Foy was out, outstanding actually as that uh, as that lead actress in, in that film. But uh, and again, I don't want to give away too many spoilers in case anyone wants to watch it. But there's about halfway through, I think, you know, I, I I'm sort of I'm sort of buying the idea of this character. I'm sort of buying the idea of this plot, and then I'm just thinking, no, that's that's just wrong. That, this is just ridiculous. This this doesn't. This is barbaric beyond belief. And then the second half of the film, I'm sort of thinking, no, I've not bought any of this, and it just seems to have gone onto a level of stupidity. When I think it didn't it didn't need to go that way. Um, but obviously, uh, I know he disagrees, and 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 it is a quite a polarizing film. And say what I would say is that Claire Foy is outstanding. And the uh, the camera work and the camera usage of the of the iPhones is excellent. What I did like was Game Night, which was which I feel like is a really underrated uh, comedy sort of action film uh, with Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. Brilliant chemistry between those two characters. Actually, genuinely quite funny. I mean, Jason Bateman's in lots of different comedies, some of which are good, some of which are terrible, some of which are questionable. This was really good. Uh, Rachel McAdams and him have a really good chemistry game, which sort of carries the film on, I think. And uh, there's lots of interesting side characters. It's quite a, it's quite a, uh, it's a plot which has lots of little twists in it, which are quite nifty and quite fun. And it's a fun film in general, but also really well written. I mean, you know, it's um, it's one of those again with with, with Jason Bateman. Sometimes his films don't quite hit the mark. There's too many. Uh, easy jokes. When I say easy jokes, I mean sort of fart, onomatopoeic kind of um, gags. But they they avoid that in particular. And also, just just the last film that I'd like to mention that was really good. I think I gave that a four. Uh, again, I don't want to spoil too much of these. But the the the, the uh, film that I watched as well, which was really good, another comedy kind of action film, was the the Nice Guys. Uh, the Nice Guys, which was with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. I thought that was really really good. One critique I had with that actually was that it it had the capacity I think to um to have um you know to, to to sort of touch on emotive points a little more to really uh push that through and really emphasise uh, certain points uh, you know these were characters we cared about these were characters Ryan Gosling Russell Crowe and the daughter really really well um, acted really really well written characters that we actually cared about and certain points could have been pushed through to a more emotional point. Uh, at which point, I feel like they nailed the they nailed the comedy aspect. You know, ninety percent, eighty percent of the jokes and the gags that they said that that, that, that were throughout the film were were really well done. Um, it's a film that relies heavily, actually, on a pornographic um, uh, a plot. And to be fair to the to the, to the people that wrote that wrote the film, um, I expected crude, lewd, silly jokes, and it was really well written. It was really well written, despite that, um, despite the pornographic element to 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 the to the main plot. Uh, so fair play to the writers, the actors, Gosling and Crow, outstanding. The daughter was excellent. 
um, you know, as well. And um, Ryan Gosling still, to, should I say, if, you, if you're if you're watching the film, and um, you know, uh, that's and and Gory Rice as well. As I just I don't just pick that up. I apologise for forgetting that. But you know, a really well written comedy, and that's rare. You know, nowadays mm-hmm. that is rare when there's so many comedies out there that really do fall uh, by the wayside. And uh, that was one that really delivered. And the only criticism, like I say, that I have, that it was it was really well written, so well written, in fact, that I feel like it just missed, actually. Um, you know, it felt comfortable with the comedy, maybe felt a bit less comfortable with delivering the uh, serious aspect of the film. And it touched on it sometimes, you know, uh, talking about Ryan Gosling's character's past and Russell Crowe's character's past and, uh, and Gory Rice, the daughter of Ryan Gosling, her past as well. Um, but it didn't quite deliver. It felt like it wanted to do another joke or another gag, and 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 for me to get to a sort of five star comedy, which is really hard to get nowadays, I feel like it needed to pack a bit of an, more of an emotional punch. But overall, one of the best comedies of the past ten years, without a doubt, really really underrated. Would recommend to a friend. Well, that's a, that's a very glowing review, and I think that covers a, a wide range of films between the uh, between the three of us there, uh, covering <laughs> basically every genre with uh, with our, what we're watching, and uh, and I think that's about it for the uh, for our what we're watching section, and we've got quite a lot of news, so we'll try to get through it to, uh, as as quickly as we can. But uh, first off, uh, I'm doing the same bit that I do every week, which is coronavirus has pushed back more films. Um, so the Halloween sequels, they got pushed back to October 2021 and October 2022. They pushed back Candyman, the uh, the one that Jordan Peele is the uh, is producing. He's not directing, is it? Am I right? Yeah, producer. That? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's producing. He's uh, he, that's been pushed back to October 16th. And for some reason, there's another Purge film coming out. Thank God it's the last one. <laughs> Maybe people, some people don't really like the Purge. Obviously, they've managed to make 15 films, but not so much for me. The Forever Purge has been pulled back to July the 9th, 2021. What a shame, eh? The Purge. We talked about this last week, didn't we? Obviously, the week before. I can't remember when I talked yeah, about. We did talk about in relation you to. Talked, I can't remember. I do remember you talking about it, and you talked. I was about talking you about how I think, I think it was in talking about Get Out, right? I was talking about how. Um, horror has the capacity to talk about social issues in a very like nuanced way, and the purge just does not do that. <laughs> yeah, the this, purge just has like people killing this each other. one. They promised he's going to be in a new environment, which is probably going to be back to the suburbs. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, it could go rural, like a farm purge. It's, it's like it's eight the, people. Well, it's called the forever purge. So what is it going to be like? The purge just goes on forever. Like they, they don't, yeah, they, they can't that's cancel not it. A purge. That is Maybe like, like a purge. <laughs> Maybe the purge people like break into the room where they broadcast the announcement that it closes from, and then it's just forever indefinitely the purge. I don't know, um, but yeah, we'll see what that's about. I, I've I think not you're giving seen, the writers too much credit. I've not seen anything past the second one, which is called what? The purge? No, is it what's the second one called? The purge anarchy or something? The anarchy. The purge anarchy. anarchy yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen that. One. I watched the first one. And yeah, I, I saw the first one. Like it. The first so one was I didn't awful. Watch any others? Yeah. See, I've seen the second one. The second one's a bit better because it's more of an interesting premise and it's a bit more personal. But the first one is just ridiculous. The th- and I've not seen the second two, uh, the second like and the third and fourth ones. So, but yeah. Um, other mm. news. So obviously, Corona has pushed back some films, production and publication and stuff. But one film that's come out of the coronavirus situation, uh, Zendaya and John David Washington have uh, come together for a film uh, made by the creator of Euphoria, which also stars Zendaya, uh, Sam Levinson, 
It was started and finished. Uh, it was filmed in secret during the pandemic. And it's called Malcolm and Mary. Um, it's very underwrapped at the moment, very secretive in terms of plot and what's going on with that film. But we do what we do know from what I've read is that it's going to have some echoes of Marriage Story, which came out last year, obviously, with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Um, however, it's going to resonate a bit more with a number of social and pandemic themes which the world is experiencing right now. So I'm guessing there's going to be some kind of isolation element to it. Maybe it's actually set during the... Like, maybe it's going to, maybe it's going to be in-universe during the the COVID stuff. I'm not too sure with that. Um, that would be interesting to see from a film level where, where they go with that. Um, but yeah, it sounds interesting. Obviously, John David Washington um, has been great. He was in um, Black Klansman, and he's going to be in Tenet. And Zendaya is, is great. She's in Spider-Man, obviously, the new Spider-Man films, and a couple of other films and TV shows and stuff um, that I've seen. So, yeah, she's pretty good. Um, so that should be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think we're going to be uh, drowned in um, films and books about the coronavirus probably for the next 30 years of our lives because yeah. of the amount of fiction. Moody, dramatic film. Moody, moody yeah. dramatic stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like a, a purge coronavirus special. And God, no. moving on to <laughs> moving on to uh, the amount of the films uh, that are being announced, production has started, or trailers have come out, and so on and so forth. We're going to start off on obviously the highest of high notes, which is uh, the new uh, Seth Rogen film, uh, An American Pickle. Uh, has <laughs> the, the trailer has been released? Uh, it, it's about a uh, a bloke who's is uh, some Jewish bloke from a fictional country called Schlupsk. Which is, uh, anyway, yeah, and he falls, he moves to America, falls in a pickle vat, and then gets um, Captain America style, uh, like stays in like a stasis and doesn't like as an age for like sixty years in the pickle vat or something, or eight years, hundred years, come, I think it is hundred years, yes, yeah, from nineteen twenty, nineteen twenty, that's it, to two thousand twenty, and the uh, and then he comes out and he meets his. Um, great 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 grandson whatever who's also played by Seth Rogen in a Jack and Jill style stunt and um, yeah and Seth Rogen has to play both himself and a version of himself from 100 years ago and you thought it looked alright see see, you're the one the way you described it it there I was sort of having to hold myself back from the microphone in case I started laughing Um, it's awful it looks dreadful the the way you described it makes it sound a lot worse I think Uh, I don't think it's going to be that bad I don't think it's necessarily going to be groundbreaking cinema um, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be awful. It's um, going to be unlike um, unlike Holmes and Watson, which you knew from the trailer was going to be an absolute shit show. The um, absolute peak this film could be is Grown Ups Two. No, you mean Peach? You mean Pickle? I said Peak. Oh, pe- I thought you said Peach. The, <laughs> the absolute. absolute... <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, right. Let's let's move on from American Pickle because yeah. So Mission Impossible clear. Seven, <laughs> Mission Impossible Seven's uh, is and the Batman, uh, two films that are, are coming up. Both of their production uh, has resumed, um, so that those films are, are back on track uh, to try and get a release as soon as possible. Um, which means you know it's, it's continuing what we said last week of more and more um, productions, uh, bigger films and TV shows are finding themselves coming out to start recording again whereas more the smaller stuff will obviously have to wait a little bit longer because they haven't got the, uh, the safety and stuff that these big attractions do but yeah I actually didn't know until I wrote I went as far to say that I forgot that there was six prior Mission Impossible films which seems way too many for my liking uh, already released but yeah so those two are coming back 
Um, also, a CGI version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is being rebooted um, because the last two times I tried to make a film version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they were very good. So uh, it's worth rebooting again. So that one's been released. Uh, yeah. Okay, doke. So another uh, film which has been uh, like confirmed, announced, and stuff. And I don't know if um, this was. I don't know where it's come from. There's two, actually two of these that I've just noticed that I don't know where they've come from because I've never heard anything about them until this week. Um, one of them is called The One and Only Ivan, an upcoming Disney film um, about a gorilla named Ivan who lives in a cage in a shopping mall and arcade and with an aging elephant and a dog <laughs> and they have to try and escape from the mall or something. Um, it sounds ridiculous, but it's probably going to be okay Fine. i guess probably gonna be the okay. crudes level it's probably yeah yeah i mean it's disney i think it's going probably gonna go straight to disney plus i imagine um yeah straight to disney plus on august 14th 2020 but the cast it has sam rockwell uh angelina jolie danny devito helen mirren and brian cranston amongst others so they disney is doing pretty good i mean obviously they've got a lot of money but they're doing pretty good with their uh their live action animal films voice casts recently um obviously lion king had a had a stellar cast and uh, a couple of films they brought out dumbo as well had danny devito too i didn't i think <laughs> i don't know um so oh, yeah. talk about straight to disney plus i don't know if either of you have seen it i don't know i haven't but the artemis fowl has completely like Ooh. been absolutely panned apparently that was like awful yeah. yeah no no so i remember seeing the i remember seeing that was announced like maybe a year or two or i don't know when it was it was quite a while ago when i saw it getting announced and i remember thinking oh it's gonna be cool like i remember people in like high school who like loved the books and i thought oh yeah it's gonna be like a cool it's like a cool world that they could build on and apparently they just did the books a complete injustice um had no emotional payoff apparently there's this like this is i mean it's spoilers but who cares artemis fall apparently there's like well i don't know there's like supposed to be some like emotional relationship that's established throughout the course of the film between two of the characters apparently they have like two lines of dialogue with each other in the whole film um and at the end they like have this emotional moment which is just ridiculous and i've seen one of the cgi scenes of I can't remember the actor. It's like a fairly... Oh, I forgot who he is now. There's one actor in the film who's like fairly big who does this ridiculous CGI scene where he like eats some sand and like shits it out. And <laughs> apparently it's in the books and it just does not translate to, to like film and they just kept it in for some strange reason. Oh, it's Josh Gad, I think. Is it, is it Josh? Is that his first name? Josh Gad. The guy, in, the guy who does the voice in Frozen is him anyway. Um, oh. And yeah, so yeah, very, very strange times with some of the Disney Plus originals. Um, on the other hand, Johnny, I think you've seen the first of this film, Train yeah. to Busan. Have you seen uh, that? Have you seen that? I've seen a bit of it. I fell asleep halfway through because it was on at, um, I think it was on at half past one in the morning or something. So it wasn't because it was a bad film. Oh, okay. Although I, I would recommend, you know, any uh, South Korean films actually that, that do come out. Phenomenal. Um, number of really good films actually out there uh particularly i mentioned the burning which i thought was excellent if you can sort of train your mind to realize why it was excellent and um i saw the devil was very good and of course parasite um phenomenal yeah. so if you, if you i'd recommend that um that sort of uh, garden of, garden of wonderful films um if you can if you can bear, bear to read the subtitles of the film, then uh, certainly lots of good stuff out there 
I've not yeah. seen that now. Only half of it, but it was about the terrain and zombies. So I remember <laughs> and it was very good. It was very good. Uh, yeah. But I, I was so tired. Uh, I wish I could watch the full thing, but I didn't. So. That's okay. Uh, yeah, just because they've announced Train to Busan Peninsula, uh, which has got a August seventh theatrical release date. Um, and then what else? There's a few more bits of news that are kind of interesting. So I'll just really quickly go through these. Um, so Jude Law has been announced to be playing Captain Hook in another Disney live action film for Peter Pan, which is being directed by David Lowry from Peach Dragon. And also Ryan Gosling has been, uh, well, it's not been confirmed, but I'm pretty sure is in the in like the line to um, take the role lead role in Universal Pictures, um, the Universal Monsters series of films, The Wolfman Project, which is currently on fast track to production, um, and it's being produced by Blumhouse as well, who've done a bunch of horror films. I think they produced or co-produced Get Out as well, and maybe Us. Um, they're also they also did the Invisible Man, um, Universal Monsters recent film with Elizabeth Moss, which did very well critically and uh, financially so very yeah, good keep, an, keep an eye for that one I'm not, I'm not actually seeing I'm not actually seeing it um, I will hopefully get around to watching it at some point but um, Universal Monsters is one of those things where they, they tried a couple of years back to really sort of kickstart it with that dark universe thing uh, with like the mummy and stuff and it just didn't work out for them but I think they've kind of reverted back to independent-esque kind of films which stand alone but they can somehow maybe branch together at some point. But yeah, the way, from what I, at least from my understanding of the Invisible Man film, is that it's kind of a standalone thing. It's not really connected to much else. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I think um, the DC have proven that, and also the, um, as you said, that that dark universe thing, that don't make films to, to then link them. Make films, and if they're good enough, link them later. Is is the problem that the, the, the DC did is they tried to, cut the like first 18 years of marvel and just like instantly went in there with like these like crossover films like batman had a crossover from before his own film it's like i think when it comes to that dark universe stuff it was all built up that they could cross over later if they yeah. just focus on making actual good films yeah you can th- if, if the team up goes badly aliens vs predator style they people forget about it and they could just still go back and watch the visible man or whatever if you set up there it has to they've got all these references and this person appears in that and that and it's all the same person does in, in all three films ever do that it's just it can it can ruin the whole franchise that's yeah yeah, well, you can tell with like Joker as well. Like they went for a standalone thing, and that worked really well. Also, um, the Batman, which is coming out pretty of soon. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we don't have any footage of that or anything from that, but but at least from initial sort of the way things are going with um, what they've released in terms of like promotional materials and stuff, the production seems to be going pretty good on that. Um, so fingers crossed for that. It just I'm, I'm hoping it's good. Um, yeah. So. That's like I say. That's probably the way to go. Uh, Marvel have done it their way, and that's just worked out for them the way it has. And they've spent a lot of time doing it. But you don't necessarily have to have to do that. And as you say, if you do want to do it, you should probably try and establish um, some characters before you try and have crossover films with other people. Of course. And yeah. You have some news about the. You have some news about the uh, the the Crown, the very popular series based on. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, Johnny English royalty. Yeah, Claire Foy was in the first two seasons. Um, it was a few months ago. They, I, I can't remember who the director is or the creator, but they they can they basically came out and said we're going to stop after five seasons. The original plan was to do six. They cut it back to five. Um, obviously, Olivia Coleman is currently in, and um, yeah, they're going to be 
reverting the decision to reduce it to five seasons. It's now going to back, go back to six. And yeah, so it's just going to be two seasons. Olivia Coleman's still only doing uh, season three and four. Uh, season four's due out later this year at some point. Um, but yeah, they're going back to season six seasons, which I kind of admire because they've admitted, you know, they've accepted that they made a mistake and they've accepted that they need the extra time to tell the stories they want to tell. So fair enough, they've they've gone back on their original decision. If only Game of Thrones did the same thing, eh? <laughs> never, never, never got into it properly, so I can't comment. But from what I've heard, I'm not going to say anything. Is it worth watching the first seven and a half series for the end? Anyway, well, the whole last series is bad. So, finishing off, our last piece of news uh, is, is a slightly sadder note and a bit more of a reflective note. Uh, the legendary uh, composer, orchestrator, uh, Ennio Morricone, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, um, passed away yep. at the uh, at the age of 91 uh, this week, which is sad. You know what? Definitely one of the most, uh, most influential and, and greatest uh, composers behind uh, a number of extreme, like a very, very high number of films. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and Ugly. Uh, is the one that's probably most uh, known, probably most iconic of his. But he did hundreds of films. He he won an Oscar for The Hateful Eight, I believe, and yep. uh, he nominated multiple times. He did The Thing, and he did uh, The Untouchables, and and all the and, and, and uh, there's a massive list. I mean, I looked at his um, his list of films. It, it's, it's hundreds long, um, and yeah, he, he passed away at the age of 91. Uh, and with that, um, he wrote his own obituary, which is available on the internet, which uh, I think is a, 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 an interesting move that I might have to follow myself when I, after I die, after my years of fame. Um, and he also uh, was quite nicely um, had a tribute played to him by uh, a number of Italian football teams, including his hometown club of Roma, of which he was a supporter his entire life. So whilst it's sad that he passed, it is, it's a great time to look back uh, on one of the uh, the greatest people uh, in their field, um, you know, especially in the, in the world of film, uh, there's not many that can do it like he did, and uh, and yeah, he leaves behind a, a great legacy. And I think that is uh, that is all the news this week, and we're going to be moving on to the big feature. I don't even think we've mentioned uh, really what we're doing this week, but we are doing, as you can read in the title, we are doing the uh, the 1980 Stanley Kubrick. Uh, blockbuster epic you know one of the widely considered one of the greatest films of all time uh the shining uh starring obviously jack nicholson in what i heard described in um i think it was in a uh, podcast the other day um somebody described uh jack nicholson as the most iconic performance in film history um jack nicholson in, in the shining and there are a couple of other names that, that come up in your head, but I think that's very much an arguable position. That, that is the most uh, iconic um, individual performance uh, in, in, in modern cinema. Um, and for that, you know, um, and, and what that means, means that uh, obviously you can, you can tell from, from that accolade or the fact that that can be argued just how highly this film is, uh, is rated. So... Without further ado, I'll, I'll, um, I'll go over to you, Jordan, to, to hear what you thought of the film. Um, I will face this by saying uh, I'm not sure about Johnny, but I, I me and uh, JL both uh, watched the, uh, the the European versions, which is uh, about half an hour shorter than the American versions, though I am aware of the differences. Johnny, do you know which version you watched? <laughs> I watched the one on Amazon Prime, so whichever one there. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, so that's yeah. the European one. Yeah, 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 we all watched it on Amazon yeah. Prime, so uh, yeah. Very good. So yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you go, JL, and 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 you can give us your thoughts on uh, on this epic. 
Okay, I'm going to preface this by saying it was great. I loved it. It was good. Um, I'm I'm going to straight away open with my... Uh, I've not written a letterbox review yet, as usual, just before the podcast, because I always do that with the pod, the films we discuss on the pod, because I don't want to the other guys to necessarily see what I've what I thought about it in advance. Uh, I'll just kind of, but I'm going to say that straight away from the beginning now, um, and that way, it kind of I can explain, I can like retrospectively justify it rather than at the end come up with a, a score. So I gave it four out of five. Um, I thought it was really good. There were just a couple of things I again, it was one of those films. I said every week we've done the pod, and it's kind of, but it's kind of showing why this series has been really interesting for us to do the I've never seen sort of films, because a lot of the films we've never seen, we've picked them because they've been iconic films or important films or whatever it's been. So it's been Blade Runner um, and 2049. Then it was um, a film that we chose each for each other. Um, and this week, The Shining. And it's one of those films, again, where I feel like it's so well-constructed, but at the same time, I feel like if I, it's one of those films where I'm, sort of wary of playing up to the fact that I know that it's supposed to be a good film in the first place because um, obviously a lot of films that we see when they come out in the cinema you come out of and you have your own interpretation of and you have your own um, understanding of and you kind of critique them at, at face value whereas obviously when you come to films like The Shining and Goodfellas and so on you have this associated prestige with them and that can kind of influence your thought process, especially when you're watching it and after you've after you've finished. So I did think it was really good. Jack Wilson, as you say, was exceptional. Um, and it was very tense, very... Uh, the tension it created, obviously, Stanley Kubrick, um, typical Stanley Kubrick style. Because uh, I've seen... Uh, me and Johnny have both seen 2001 Space Odyssey, uh, which Johnny loves. Um, I did like, but not so much uh, as Johnny did and also A Clockwork Orange, which I prefer to 2001, and I think I just about prefer to The Shining overall. Um, but it, it, yeah, the exceptional performance from Jack Nicholson, cinematography was amazing, soundtrack was really unnerving and unsettling and tense um, when it needed to be. Um, so yeah, I thought it was really good. I've got a couple of points I want to sort of bring up in a, dis- in a more discussion format um, to ask you both about, uh, but I'll let Johnny sort of give his initial thoughts first. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, as a horror, I'm quite a horror buff. I do like uh, to be scared when I when when I, when I when I enter a horror film. When I want to watch a horror film, uh, you know, big fan of the genre. It rarely happens. Uh, it rarely happens that I'm scared or intimidated. But I can still appreciate the film for what it is. And you know, The Shining is. I think you alluded to it. You know, very Stanley Kubrick esque. Um, straight away, the first two three minutes. Um, you've got uh, a piercing soundtrack, and you've got um, uh, a very withdrawn sort of camera angle, looking at, looking from above and, and looking at a car driving down a windy road. You don't know where the windy road's going. Um, it's all very sort of ambiguous, and it sort of plays into the whole film. Really, it's a film you never really fully understand. I don't think, um, but that's the key to a horror. I keep the key to a horror. A horror really is, and um, you always fear really what you don't fully understand. You always have that sort of um, that you you're you're always a bit scared by what you can't fully conceptualize, fully fully get your head around, and and that's what horror plays off. Um, often, uh, when it's a ghost or a demon that's the uh, antagonist in a horror, 
uh, it's often the most effective when um, you uh, you see less of it up until the end. And the, the longer you see less of it, the more you're in fear, the more you don't know what it is. You have conceptualizations of whatever the demon is, and, and then and then that comes about. It's not quite the case with The Shining. You know quite well that Jack Nicholson, we all know that Jack Nicholson is going to be the nut job who turns on his family. But you do have this ambiguity in the sense that you don't quite under, fully understand ever really what's going on around it. There's enough ambiguity to make you think, oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? What does that, um, what, what, what is that trying to get at? What is that trying to get at? And then obviously when you come away from it, you're going to have lots of different uh, interpretations from different people about what this means, what that means, what this means. Uh, I thought it was really good. I thought Jack Nicholson was outstanding. The only one... Uh, I think it's more of a modern criticism actually for this film really is um the uh the role of um the role the role of Wendy uh played uh for sure, by, yeah. if I just double Yeah, uh, and, and you know where I'm getting at here. I'm just gonna mm-hmm. uh, get my notes up one second. But obviously Wendy as I as I get my notes up, I feel like very Shelley I don't Duvall. I don't play the actress yeah, Shelley Duvall. But no, I don't necessarily blame the actress uh, Shelley Duvall for the performance. I feel like it's more of a Stanley Kubrick um, you know, because I feel like the actress plays a convincing role as a, as a woman that's very um, traumatized by her husband, wants to please her husband and things. But it is in, es- in, in essence, and I read this after actually, I thought it while I was watching, I, I read it by the author, uh, Stephen King, uh, after watching it, that it is essentially um, sort of a definition of misogyny. I mean, it, the, 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 the character yeah. is written to a mm-hmm. point where um, she is so, I mean, to a point, I like it. I mean, I was expecting, maybe the modern viewer inside me, that when uh, Jack Nicholson's character, uh, Jack, turns or transforms and admits that he, he has a, you know, that he sort of indicates that he has attacked uh, the child, uh, I expect Wendy or, or, or Shelley Duvall's character to really sort of change, you know, and take on the sort of uh, modern uh, female representation that we see in cinema, you know, someone who's gone from a, a wimpy, whimsical kind of character to someone who's forceful, uh, challenging and, 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 you know, can take on this horrible uh, character that re- that really is uh, Jack Nicholson's character, but in essence, really, you get quite the opposite. You get almost, I think she swears and she, I think she calls, she says you sick bastard or whatever, but you never get the sense that there's a, there's any uh, sort of motivation behind the, the swearing. You never get the sense that she's going to that she's going to sort of uh, uh, progress into a more as we say progressive female character. It, it's almost that she st- she raises the same character throughout the entire film. And, you know, even when Jack Nicholson's chasing her and, and you know, and trying to uh, attack her and, 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 in essence, kill her, she doesn't change. And, and, and in many ways, I'm watching as a viewer quite frustrated thinking, you know, I really do want her and the child to succeed because Jack Nicholson's not a very nice man in this film. But it's making it very hard because she's a very frustrating, as I say, character to watch with no real development and someone who's, who's seeming, who still carries the whimsical sort of frustrating characteristics that she had right at the start of the film. That's the only real criticism I'd have uh, with the film. I mean, the small little things, but that's the overriding one. Again, like JL said, I think probably a four out of five would be fair with a modern rating because I just, I wasn't really satisfied with Shelley Duvall's uh, character development and um, mm-hmm. you know and, and maybe that but I feel like that's more of a modern criticism and maybe not something you'd have in the 1980s yeah, yeah for yeah. sure 
I think there's uh, more of an emphasis on character arcs now than there ever has been, um, and, and I think that's probably a good example. Um, I, I think uh, I'll go on to, to my thoughts on the film now. And, you know, I think that there's um, uh, very much a similarity between my thoughts on the film and, and a lot of the things uh, that have already been said by, by both of you two. Um, I think that, you know, the film clearly suffers in, in some uh, aspects due to the fact that it was made 40 years ago. Um, you know, clearly there is in ways dated. Um, I feel like maybe sometimes the, uh, you know, the plot was... Maybe uh, I, th- I almost feel that, that it, it starts quite slow. I think a lot of the problems I have cease 45 minutes of the film. I think that it, it's very, um, it's very uh, almost um, plain. It's quite clearly said what's happening early on. I think the cinematography, um, whilst it's excellent in the hotel, it feels a little bit too homely early in the film. Um, I, I'd argue that maybe it takes a little bit of a while, especially for um, the, the child, I believe, is played by someone called Danny Lloyd. Um, maybe doesn't uh, doesn't uh, have the same kind of um, gravitas early on, doesn't kind of invoke fear, even when he is being creepy. Uh, but I think a lot of the problem, at the start of the film, there was kind of a point early on where I was thinking, um, like, oh, you know, maybe I, this film is only considered as good as it is due to its... Uh, his, his status as, as, as JL said but then I think as the film went on it kind of progressed through that and it had these you know, those beautiful wide shots and um, uh, the, of, of the hotel that really make this film give this film this really uh, iconic Kubrick vibe um, but I, I think maybe the, the biggest positive and the biggest negative are almost tied together of the uh, abstractness or absurdity in that sometimes um, you can make an argument that the the lack of understanding what's going on when it comes to the characters is it the shining is it the insanity of jack is it actually happening seeing as uh, shady duval's character does see that the thing's happening you kind of the lack of understanding both creates a very very um scary feeling a real creepy vibe and also leads you to me at times to be thinking what is actually going on here so i think there's a positive and negative that can be found yeah. within that um, there, well, there was times where I was actually thinking, like, should I Google what's going on at this point? Because they're, they're, you know, is it justified? And sometimes they, it can't clear up later. Sometimes it was never justified for further actions. And I think yeah. that may be a taste thing rather than uh, the film itself. Maybe I'm just a little well, bit uh, stupid. Got, yeah, I've got two things to sort of mention in in sort of conversation with what you've just said there. So the first thing is that obviously we all watch the European, well, the non-US version, which is about 30 minutes shorter, and it cuts out. A bunch of things which are just purely there to extend, like not well, not to extend runtime, but they don't necessarily add much to the plot. They're just sort of extended sequences of people walking or whatever. But in, mm-hmm. in other in other instances, there is stuff which is cut because I did watch um, a comparison video where someone goes through and compares the two versions. What's missing from the from the non-US version? And one of the thing, well, a couple of the things that are missing, which you might might have helped um, us to understand. Um, what's going on there's a couple of sequences which refer to um jack's alcoholism uh, the fact that he's been under sobriety for like five months or something by the time of the film mm. there's a reference to a previous attack um on danny by jack at one point um there's a scene later on in the film in which um danny speaks to his mother but it's not actually him it's um, tony speaking to his mother so there's a bunch of scenes which are cut out 
Um, some of which people have said, yeah, but it really helps the pacing of the film. This shorter runtime helps you sort of more engage more with the film and helps it to run more, run more smoothly. Then, as I said, there's other scenes which help um, to explain certain sequences. And as you said, you might have had to Google certain things to understand. It kind of comes in contrast to the Blade Runner thing we talked about, where the director's cut was um, had less exposition and it worked better for it. I feel like The Shining was the opposite in that the lack of exposition in certain areas just made it so abstract and so open to interpretation that you were kind of, it's kind of lack, a lack of understanding on the viewer's part in certain points. Because mm. I thought this, overall, I would say this film, because you said about having to, go, maybe like think about having to Google stuff or whatever, or having to, you know, the certain bits which you, didn't necessarily understand as well as other parts i think this film overall did find a reasonable balance between the allegorical metaphorical stuff which kubrick is very famous for and the more literal this is just literally a hotel that's possessing a visitor um because you can take out its value if you really want to and it is just a purely supernatural story or you can interpret it uh, in a metaphorical way or you can do both and i think that's quite good um, mm. in comparison to some other films which you can't do that necessarily with because some films do when you watch them for example this film's where I've come out of the cinema and it's ne- like it's kind of been necessary it's kind of forced me to have to go on Google and search what does this mean in a film because I've genuinely got no idea what that is referring to do you do you, whilst uh, this is not me and my this is kind of devil's advocate would you not say that um, styles like that from from so obviously Kubrick and things like that. Do you not think that has an air of pretentiousness? The idea of of almost gatekeeping that kind of oh yeah oh yeah you have to be cerebral you have to really pay, you have to really want to pay attention to this film and oh the normal people wouldn't get it. Is it? Do you think there's I, any a, a accusation I that do, it, there's? I do in a way, but also as I said, this is one of those films where you can kind of go both ways with it. You mm-hmm. can just take it as a straight up supernatural story where you don't need to read too much into it and it is just pure entertainment. Whereas there are some films out there, for example, this is one of my criticisms of 2001 Space Odyssey, is that it is so metaphorical and so surreal almost that you need that you have to interpret it because there isn't the what the substance that is there is really good and like it's really interesting to watch, but you can't you have to interpret that you can't just watch that as a just as a pure spectacle entertainment film you have to engage with it whereas with the shining i felt it was a bit better in a sense because you were able if you wanted to just to interpret it more literally well but, going back to uh to what i was saying with uh with with my thoughts on it and i think as you said i think what something you've kind of touched on there reminds me of said the kind of that one of the weaknesses of, of the abstractness and so it is also a positive in that i'd gay i'd say that that it can be viewed, as you say, as a very straight-up horror film, you know, just designed to scare you, and it has loads of creepy things happening, and they, you know, and you know, spoiler, they just get away, and it's all very close, and you know, this thing happens, that thing, happens. and you can have it on a metaphorical level. You really question it, and you you think about what the film means uh, in in a deeper sense. I think the the only issue is the space in between where you're questioning yeah. it, but not going on a deeper level which i think i was doing i wasn't particularly thinking of or what that represents i was more thinking uh, on, a, on a more literal sense but with questions and i feel that's that's probably the demographic which i i think it's more of a tasting myself that i happen to feel the small demographic of people that it doesn't really apply to i wasn't thinking deeply and i wasn't thinking literally without question i was thinking what does that mean i thought that it was a battle between 
the real life uh, insanity of Nicholson and the uh, the shining that the boy had. I thought it was a kind of battle between the two forces, but then as soon as Wendy's character started seeing things, then I was like, I started doubting it. But when I go back before I, I, we go into a bit more of a conversational thing, just just about my my last thing about my thoughts is that I think that a lot of the the strengths of of this film, you know, obviously you could endlessly uh, praise this, but I I think one of the strengths of, of the film uh, that isn't talked up as much uh, as as obviously Nicholson's performance, which is the stand out in the film would be the um the way that the the 20s uh, era was really really done well with some really strong performances very very well placed uh, musical cues and um i thought the character of um of joe turkle the, the the person who also played um uh, the mr tyrell uh, the 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 the, the, the owner of the Tyro Corporation from uh, the first episode, uh, Blade Runner, uh, which I, I did watch the, an interview with Ridley Scott and he said I, I was thinking of who I should have as Mr. Tyrell and the only person that came to my head was the bartender from uh, The Shining, so I went out and got him. So it, that, that performance got him the, the role in Blade Runner, but I think he him his role as the bartender is like, slightly creepy but slightly comforting, where you, almost like you... He, the, the performance almost made you feel like you had the upper hand on Jack. You could see through the bartender through his drunken desperateness to get away from his family. You could, he could only see the very um, kind of surface level um, kindness of, of the bartender. He couldn't really detect what the audience can. That is this kind of creepy. Uh, you know, he's got, got some ulterior motives. And the um, and as well with the with the, the butler um, who who was the uh, ended up being the, the per- last person the, the, the caretaker before which I was, don't know about you two but were you two surprised by the sudden end bomb they dropped I was I wasn't prepared for that at all I was just like watching the what, film the start, no the end bomb when he started he just comes oh, out oh yeah no yeah I was very shocked by <laughs> I was that. like what I was like this is not yeah. what I expected at all there I was like obviously it's 1980 so it's a bit dated but um. But it just came out of nowhere, though. It wasn't like in, <laughs> yeah, in like, Tarantino what? films where it's kind of overly explicit, you know, for, for the... Yeah. That's his style. This was just very just sudden. <laughs> but I felt you like know, that... It did stri- sorry, yeah, no. it just did strike me, sorry, as, as you say, really. I mean, I'm quite a big Tarantino fan, and, and it was almost like a throwback to one of to one of his films, actually. And it did seem to come out of the blue, really. It wasn't a film that necessarily uh, promoted um, choice language too much uh, in terms of that kind of uh, in terms of that kind of level. But yeah, no, I, I'd agree, actually, with what you said as well about the 1920s feel and, and you know, the... the uh, I, think it, I think it was... Uh, I think the, uh, the butler or, or what that was, I think Philip Stone, actually, was, was, the, um, was the actor behind that. I thought he was very good. Uh, mm-hmm. And... As the butler, and also, you know, just in general, I agree with um, Joe. The, the the bartender was very well cast. The whole aesthetic was very well done. I actually think that was one of the one of my favourite uh, scenes in the film. Actually, yeah, as, as I Jack definitely agree. Goes into the bar. You actually think, you know, is this actually is that is this literal or is this metaphorical? Is he imagining it? He's going mad. You know, he's it. Uh, you know, has he slept? Is this part of his? You know, he's very very much an unreliable narrator in many ways. And is it his subconscious telling him? certain things i mean you always get the sense from the film that uh wendy his wife he has contempt for really he doesn't uh, necessarily show love towards he always looks at her from the start as though she's sort of um sort of a, a, a um a cupboard uh, a pocket of, of regrets in many ways he never really sees mm-hmm. her as someone who who's a as, who's a living breathing human person of love um you know you actually see more love from jack from jack Nicholson's character, from jack the character 
uh, to his boss, to the people who he's supposed to be, um, to the, to the uh, hotel, uh, to people he's talking about rent, uh, keeping yeah, the hotel yeah, before. You see more love with his bot with, with the people who uh, his, his proverbial employers than you do to his wife, to his see a bit to his child, I suppose, in a little bit. But um, yeah, no, I, I it's uh, he's he's you know, Jack Nicholson's excellent. That seems very good. The 1920s, as you say, Sam, very, very, very uh, well characterised um, on on the screen. Uh, and the N word was certainly a bit out of um, bit out of touch, I suppose, with, with, with how how the how the film was going. It did take me by surprise. But uh, yeah, no, just to, just to throw that back to you, I suppose. I suppose even though we, I, I sort of myself criticised. Um, uh, Shelley Duvall's Wendy and the character and and whatnot. I suppose it, the the way she is the way she is is sort of a result of Jack's uh, very horrible, draining, nasty sort of uh, treatment of her, and uh, she just seems to always want to be the loving, caring wife, and she almost feels like she's she's indebted to him in many ways. You always get that sense she's in a nice house because of him. You know, she's not she's not uh, doing the writing or working. Uh, he's doing the working. He's got the he's got the house and whatnot, um, and you get the sense that she feels indebted to him almost, and maybe that's why she's such a feeble, whimsical, ri- whimsically written character because of Jack himself because of the way he's made her. doesn't mean I don't agree with the with my criticism of the whole thing, but maybe mm-hmm. it gives a bit of an excuse towards towards that, the way that she's written it. I think um, it, it's like, I agree with the, the criticism of Wendy. I, I think you touched on a lot of points I very much agree with, with the way she was written and um, and I feel like maybe the, the uh, Shirley Duval did not uh, have the, I think she played the, the part to the best of her ability, mm-hmm. as, as you said. I don't think it was her fault, but yeah, I agree with the problems with with how she's written but then also I think retrospective looking back no point that I particularly feel this throughout the film retrospectively back out she's really the protagonist of the film uh, think about it like the Jack Nicholson obviously turns evil very early on and, and the kid is a, some annoying little blonde twat you want to kick so it's like the whole so I mean I, that's just a bias because I despise all children but um but yeah, so she's really the protagonist the whole time. She's the only person you completely wholeheartedly root for from, from the first to the last minute, I feel, because everyone else has kind of got some sort of, you know, and even even the um, the guy that he kills, um, I can't remember his, his name, um, the one that could also feel The Shining, uh, he, Scatman Cuthers is, is the actor. Yeah, he, uh, he, even him, you feel like he's a little bit creepy at the start, like you don't know how he knows about The Shining stuff. So, but yeah, like from minutes one to the last minute, you don't really have any doubts about the the wife. That's about Wendy. Well, and the you- last the last thing I'll touch on, just the very last thing I'll say before we go, into the very thing is that I, you very briefly touched on the JL, but I think um, I just want to shout out again the uh, the music and the the sound effects, mm. and I feel like um, that especially I think what one thing it did very well is very good to have a, a good soundtrack as the horror progresses. I think one thing it did very well was had this almost uh, tonal foreshadowing of. Um, the horror style sound effects for normal things like him picking up the newspaper and such and such that set up the the that gave you the the, the uh, a sense of what the tone would be f- uh, in the future before it even happened that's, that, that's what i thought was a, an excellent technique that maybe uh, is underused yeah see that was a cool like that was i didn't even notice that well i did notice it but i didn't think about it to, to mention it but that's one way that Stanley Kubrick does like a really nice ramp up in terms of like building up to the to the climax of the film. One thing I didn't like necessarily, and I don't know whether it's just because of this cut of the film or whether it's just a universal thing, regardless of whichever version you watch. But Jack Nicholson's like Jack's descent just was so sudden, like it yeah. it, it didn't feel like it was built up in any meaningful or like 
justifiable way. It just kind of happened. Like there's just one scene in particular. I remember where he just kind of, he's just crazy and it didn't really ramp it up. And I don't know, maybe that's just, I don't know, nitpicking maybe, but I feel like it's a criticism that a lot of people have of the film, like structurally, that it just, that that Jack just uh, almost suddenly becomes like this, this like crazy character. Um, I feel like they were always pandering to that, though. To be honest, I mean, if you've seen one sort of the Cuckoo's Nest, I mean, Jack Nicholson is the essentially the crazy man of the asylum, the leader of the asylum, and I mean, essentially as well that and The Shining got him the Joker role in Batman in '89. So, I mean, yeah. Jack Nicholson himself really is. If you if you um, if you have a definition for an actor, he and you ha- and you asked a hundred people, what do you think of Jack Nicholson as an actor? What does he? What kind of characters does he portray? You would say sort of mad, creepy, scary, uh, you know. Yeah. And I mean, you got that again from the from the from the films in the seventies, and particularly one thing over the Cuckoo's Nest. And it's and I agree with you. I think it does seem like a sudden shift, but I feel like it was almost Stanley Kubrick thinking, you know, he, he you know he does. Even when he's playing, I mean, let's be fair. Even when he's playing the normal kind of general, fa- uh, I invert commas, family man, um, you know, you never get the sense that it's really um, an authentic family man. You always think, eh, is there, there's, there's something coming now. There's, you know, you, you expect yeah. that from him. even the way he smiles, the way he acts, and almost it's almost like you say Kubrick probably thinking, you know, there's there's almost a, a, a giddy childish um, sort of um, uh, ploy to get him to the insane level as soon as possible because you know that's what he performs as that is that is his um definition as an actor almost and uh, no i agree with you i think it was quite a sudden shift but there was probably a ploy from the director to say well you know what we know we know the strength of this guy and I, to be honest i think generally from a from a, just a purist point of view the film does get significantly better when jack nicholson does go on the verge of insanity i think as mm-hmm. sam said it's quite a slow start it's almost like yeah we, we we want to build it up, but actually we know what we know what Jack Nicholson's strength is. This is kind of his film. I feel like it is, and you know we want to get him onto the crazy side as soon as possible, uh, for better or for worse. I agree. It has its it has its flaws, certainly rushing it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, I think we can all agree the film got better. I think when Jack Nicholson was in his element and he was he was being Mister Crazy, I suppose. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, one thing, one thing I didn't just, just one thing I want to mention is one thing I didn't actually know before watching the film was that Stephen King like despises the film. Really? Yeah, he like, really, do, he really does not like the film because apparently it changes a lot of things and misses out a lot of things which he wrote in the book, which uh, helped to develop Jack and helped to tell a story in a sort of more better, like in, in a more nuanced, like better way. And like Stephen King just doesn't like this for the film apparently, um, and. I mean, just I mentioned this to Sam, right? So there's a there's a documentary on Amazon Prime which you can watch, which I watched. Yeah, um, so I was about to bring up. I was about to say about that room <laughs> called two, Room Two Three Seven. Um, I won't spend too long talking about it because it's kind of a bit crazy, almost as crazy as Jack in the film. But um, it's a documentary film uh, made in well released in 2012, um, and it's basically a bunch of people talking about their interpretations of The Shining. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's become so revered is not necessarily because of its uh, cinematic quality necessarily, but also the fact that it is, as I said before, it is so open to interpretation, at least at certain to a certain degree. Well, I mean, these people seem to think to a very much degree because some of the theories in this documentary are ridiculous. 
But no, one of the things I wanted to mention, just because I mentioned Stephen King there, was that apparently in the um, in the book, uh, Jack drives a red Volkswagen, and in the film, at the beginning of the film, he's driving a yellow Volkswagen. And then later in the film, when I forgot the character's name, um, the one who gets killed, who goes to the um, oh, that's one of the, that's one of the other, the other scenes they cut out as well. They the one of the other scenes they cut out was him. Uh, Get, getting hold of the snowmobile thing that he uses to it's like a whole five minute sequence of him like phoning someone and arranging with the rate park rangers or whatever to get a snowmobile and stuff um but when he drives to the overlook hotel on the way there you know the overturned lorry thing mm-hmm. the overturned lorry well it's crashed into a red volkswagen and people are basically saying that it's stanley kubrick's like f you <laughs> really to, uh, to stephen to king, stephen king. Wow. But the, well, th- that was the guy. This is, I mean, this is that's a theory coming from the guy who tried to claim that. Um, I think this is. I'm pretty sure this was from the same guy. He claimed that it was a big fu to to Stephen King because the Shining, the making of the Shining, was a ruse, and it's not actually an adaptation of the book, but it's actually a way of Stanley Kubrick admitting that he faked the Apollo Eleven moon footage. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there's a bunch I of strange see. theories. Some of the theories range from that. One of the other theories is that it's about sexual phantoms who are sexually attracted to humans and eat them. Um, and a whole bunch of random things. I can't remember. I told you another one earlier, which I, which was just ridiculous. I can't remember what it was, though. Um, but there's, there's, actually, there's actually some really interesting theories in there. And a lot of them do rely, though, on... Um, content from the longer version which apparently Stanley Kubrick said he regards both versions as director's cuts so it's not necessarily a case of like one is is more uh, highly regarded in the mind of the director than another um, but some of the theories uh, which are actually quite interesting and going to actually have some substance to them um, uh, some real substance to them so there's ones which are about how uh, the making of The Shining is an allegory for the um, expansion of America and the massacre of um, Native Americans because a lot of imagery relates to Native mm. Americans throughout the film and obviously the blood and the murders and um, the way that the characters descend of madness to to effectively, you know, fulfill the role that's given to them by a, a non-entity, which is, you know, the ghost or whatever, who tell Jack that he has to go out and, and do what he has to do. Um, there's also theories which relate to the Holocaust, which um, draw on some of the uh, German imagery throughout the film. And some of them have a lot more substance than others. Some of them are kind of more metaphorical. So there's references to, for example, the Minotaur um, and the Hedge Maze, which isn't in the books. Um and a bunch of other things. But if you want to have some fun, some crazy theories, and some actually quite interesting theories about the film, then Room 237, which is also available on Amazon Prime in the UK. Um, I think there's a... About, you know, your theories of what happens, and there's a lot of things about the actual the act of The Shining and his madness, and there's a lot of ambiguity about it, as we've spoken in length about both uh, me and you, me and, and Jordan saying about uh, how it can be interpreted in different ways and so on. Um, I think uh, I have not uh, yet watched the, uh, I think last year, 2019, uh, the sequel, uh, Doctor Sleep, which is built based on Stephen King's 2013 mm-hmm. sequel to the novel. Um, and I haven't watched it yet, so I can't give my thoughts. But I do fear, I will watch it in the coming days, I do fear it might suffer from the same problem that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back to a bit more, um, you know, kind of 
normal uh, kiddie fiction that I, I, uh, some more uh, popcorn fun I'm usually used to uh, stuff like uh, in Star Wars you know the Kessel Run uh, he says, makes that iconic line in the first Star Wars film and then they explain it in Solo and it kind of cheapens it or um, when you know and um, I think there's a um, in, in another one of my nerdy passions in, in Doctor Who, they, they talk about um, the Nightmare Child in like 2010, and then like eight years later they tell you what it is. It's like almost I want things to be secret. I want to not know what that is. And I, I fear that this I don't, I can't say it for certain because I haven't seen it, but judging off the trailers, I've got a feeling like the Doctor Sleep probably explains parts of The Shining which I would not want explained. Um, yeah, but then as you say, with like the gatekeeping issues before, it might yeah. be worthwhile yeah. having some things paid off, and obviously some reference is much appreciated, especially for like a fan perspective. I think one of the things that was interesting as well is because obviously The Shining, when it came out, um, critically and financially, more so critically, but also financially compared to some of the other horror films that were coming out at the time, it didn't do very well at all. Um, very similar to Blade Runner, as, as we mentioned yeah, uh, in the yeah, first episode. Um, a lot of parallels actually between these two films, and. Um, yeah, so, and, and Doctor Sleep, as you mentioned, when that came out last year, was it last year, 2019, yeah? Um, apparently yeah. that that opened to pretty mediocre box office as well. But Stephen King actually defended, uh, as far as I'm aware, defended uh, the box office returns and, and stuff and the, the actual production of uh, of Doctor Sleep. So I feel like it might be a bit more of a faithful adaptation to the to the source material. I'll have to have a watch of it. As you said, I'm gonna probably watch that over the next coming days and maybe kind of like next week actually just as a, as an aside. But um yeah, definitely one of those things that um is interesting from from a perspective of, of Stephen King coming out and, and saying that. But I think as well, just just one thing I want to throw out there just to have and it we're coming towards the end of the podcast now, but do you, because you mentioned about gatekeeping earlier and then now, I mean, I don't know if it's a contradiction, but you said about how you want some things to be to be kept secret, but do you think it's better yeah. or worse to have, for a director, if they have a single intention for the film of, in terms of its interpretation, or at least they have in, you know, in their mind that it has one interpretation, um, but it's concealed, right? So do you think it's better or worse for um, to have a concealed but intended single meaning? Because it shows intention and some kind of unique hmm. creative cleverness from a director, um, and you know, rather than relying on the viewer to come up with their own meaning. But then again, is that bad? Like, if you're, you know, it, what, what's your take on that? Because a lot of films do have, for example, right. So I don't want to spoil too much because it's fairly recent. Or the people who've seen it, people who want to see it, probably already seen it. I think Johnny's seen it as well. No, 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 no. I think Johnny's already seen uh, it. Um, Mother with um, your favourite oh, Jennifer uh, Lawrence. Do not mention what happens. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, I'm not going to mention I've anything. I'm not going to mention anything, but what happens in that film is very abstract, mm. but it has a very, very clear interpretation. Well, I'll, I'll answer your question. I'll, I'll let Johnny uh, give his thoughts on your question yeah. after after I do. But I just want a quick my, my answer is uh, it, it kind of it calls back almost to the problem we had and discussed in the first episode of the podcast with uh, Ridley Scott's uh, thoughts on on um, the main character of Blade Runner being a replicant. Um, in that, um, the, the two the two options are the director the um, I can't remember who don't know who the name of the person the scriptwriter wanted to keep it as ambiguous as possible whereas really Scott wanted it to be obvious that he's a replicant um, and and I guess the, the you could you can if we 
break, break down your question into you know which side would I go for? I would say if you have a single clear meaning, I, I'd prefer an open meaning to a single clear meaning. Uh, in that, uh, I think that even if you have an idea about what you think it is, um, if you, I would not try and project. I would think it is more advantageous and, and gives the, the film more longevity to uh, explore multiple avenues rather than have a defined answer. I think. Uh, film works best when it makes you think and if the answer to, comes to you too quickly or there's a yes and no I mean it's not thought in the same level I don't think I don't think there's enough depth to that thought that's just my opinion I think there are examples where single meanings would work better but I think in general I think it's it's more of a tool to, to, to make the reader really question and uh, and spend time at thinking what they actually think a film is about and I can let Johnny you can go on you can answer the question as well yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. I mean, it's about, this, you know, you always go back to, you know, even, I never did creative writing, a creative writing course, but, you know, any, anyone who's just started out at grassroots level like that would say, you know, um, it's about showing versus telling. And if you're telling someone something, it's not as strong a narrative as if you're showing someone something. And, and obviously that comes down to script writing, that comes down to building a strong narrative that's engaging, that, that, that carries the viewer or reader, I suppose, if you're if you're reading um, along the way without without necessarily spoon spoon feeding them, and I yeah, I completely back up those points in many ways. Um, and just looking at cinema in general, I mean, in, uh, you know, very 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 uh, good film, Inception by Christopher Nolan leaves an ambiguous ending at the end, and um, I think that. Uh, you know, there's lots of film. There's, I mean, the the mother example uh, that you give is uh, is very good. I think it is quite an abstract film, but I followed it quite easily. Uh, once you, I feel like you need almost a um, uh, a sort a sort of step in, in at the start and to say, you know what, this is kind of the the pathway that mother is going in particular. I mean, it is it's an ambiguous film, very uh, heavy on imagery, very heavy on. Um, on on abstract on abstract uh, concepts, but it, as you said, Jill, it has a very sort of uh, linear pathway in many ways. Once you know the kind of background behind it, it's very it's very easy to sort of follow it uh, along to the end. But I'd agree with Sam in the sense that you know if if you're basically being spoon fed information throughout a whole uh, a whole film, then you're really just sort of um, you're not really engaging. You're just sort of taking on board, not interpreting, not getting anything from the film. And there's only, there's only, and that, that can be good, but there's only a ceiling really where you can hit with that. Maybe a, a really good three star, maybe a low four star. But I think the really best, the best films really make you think, make you interpret, uh, ask um, philosophical questions, ask, ask exterior questions outside of its narrative that, you know, always keeps you constantly thinking and wanting, as you've both alluded to, to uh, wanting to Google and wanting to find uh, what other people think about the film because it's not quite as straightforward as, as certain of the films. That's the key, I think, really, to having a, a really top-end film that's going to hit your five stars, something that something that really makes you think, something that really really makes you question, outside of the, the, the narrative itself, uh, what's really going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I promote ambiguity so long as um, the general plot itself does make some kind of sense. Because if it doesn't, then it's just a really bad film, obviously. Yes, no, definitely, I agree. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it needs to maintain some sort of structure, yet leaving options open. And... Um, 
I think you know we could talk about uh, The Shining all day, and people have been talking about it for the last twenty, uh, no, sorry, last forty years. My, my apologies. Um, but I think, unless uh, do either of you have any uh, any outstanding thoughts that you'd really like to uh, to to promote before uh, before we we go towards the, uh, the I just, outro? Yeah, I just wanted to get your uh, your guys' thoughts on the very end, the very final um, shot. What did you? How did you interpret that when you first saw it? Oh, that uh, is that of the oh, final shot. So it's of... him of it's him at the ball. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I thought it was him frozen ice. Yeah, him at the ball. I thought personally, I thought that added a lot. I think that that shot, that last that ending bit, um, answered a lot of questions I had myself and provided a really nice oh moment where I thought it kind of it kind of um kind of wraps it up in a nice little ball and I think it answered a lot of the questions about his own insanity versus the the fact that actually something is there I think it answers the question at least for me felt like it answered the question there was some sort of exterior force in there and I thought it was a really nice uh, way of wrapping it up and it, or I think it explains the, the 20s bit that these are all people that have been in the, in the hotel but that, that's that's way different I, I was a big fan I thought it was a nice way to wrap it up comparatively to if it just ended on the frozen image of, of uh, Jack Nicholson yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think it was, um, you know, it, it it added that nice sense of um, uh, of balance. Almost, you think is it? You, you think you think it's insane. You think, oh my god, this is so wild. What? Where's where's this 1920s feel come from? What's going on here? But then suddenly you've got this sense of uh, authenticity with uh, with with the fact that he's obviously in the um, obviously in the in in the photo on the wall. And you know, again, again, we took we bring it back to that ambiguity sense. It almost it, it, it's quite. You always have a grin on your face when you watch it. You think, "Oh, we thought this." Then there's the plausibility of this, and again, that's the key to you know really good cinema. It makes you want to Google, yeah. makes you want to Reddit, kind of, you know, what what really is going on here? What what is what is the real meaning behind this? And yeah, no, I really like that. Again, I, I wouldn't have liked it if it had finished on the frozen face. I feel like that would have been maybe a bit of a cheap shot. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, would, it, it yeah. didn't really it didn't really suit the. Uh, the film really but yeah no it added a nice feel to it and as I, as I said before um, the 1920s scene actually was one of my favourite um, parts of the film for the way it captured the era for the way that it that it took uh, Jack out of the sort of isolated um, community he was in with his family where he just didn't really want to socialise at all where he never really got a sense of much character except for someone he was resentful for his wife and wasn't really sure how to act with his child and then you take him out of that and you put him in a scene where he's he's uh, you know he's openly socialising with several of the of the people um, particularly the bartender and the previous um, and the previous uh, homeowner. Uh, a hotel uh, stopper or whatever. I think it was, you know, I, I really liked that. And yeah, no, big fan of the final scene. And again, you know, really, really yeah. good film uh, overall. Really, really good film. I think there's probably slightly better horror films out there, but it certainly pay, you know, certainly lots of horror films now pay homage to that um, for, you know, its exploration into um, into human madness and uh, and just in general um, certain stylistic choices. I think you can see you can see it replicating the lots of more lots more modern horrors that we see today and, and certainly not as well actually uh, on based on those but yeah you know very big uh checkpoint in horror uh, mm-hmm. you know certainly without a yeah. doubt yeah yeah, yeah speaking yeah, I was trying to say, speaking of moments that made me go oh like revelation moments for me it was the moment in the the storeroom when the storeroom door opened um, yes yeah. because I mean, there's obviously logical explanations for that, but for me, that was the big moment, which was kind of like Kubrick going, yes, here you go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to air you in the right direction. Um, 
But yeah, just just on a final final note, on that Room Two Three Seven podcast, uh, on that documentary, sorry, I'm not gonna say what it is, but if you want to rewatch The Shining, just keep an eye out because Stanley Kubrick is known for being very meticulous with what he does and why he does it. Just keep an eye out in the background for some stray chairs and some stray carpet moving around because there wow. might be something to those theories. Wow. Okay, I think that about wraps it up. And I also didn't get my, my thoughts. I, I, whilst you were all talking, I, I was my, my rating was was teetering around because I, you know I'm, I'm more of a, an out of ten guy than an out of five guy. Uh, I was kind of thinking a seven or an eight, a nine. And I think I'm gonna go with an eight out of ten. So kind of similar to you two, four out of five. I think um, yeah, I think what you've got to think what does the time, what I did for the genre. I think uh, you know the music the, the the cinematography was great and it had some some uh, plot flaws that uh, that I've covered and, and so on and so forth and I think that about wraps it up uh, an excellent film uh, I'm happy to have seen it it's one that I can tick mm. off my list of uh, the classics sure. yeah. that I, I had to have seen and uh, and and to, to finish off, um, now it's the section of the podcast uh, where we're going to talk about next week's film. Um, we're alternating each week between films that neither of us have seen and films that one of us has seen recommended to the other. And you touched on a little bit what you are going to give me uh, earlier. And um, can you just confirm what you're going to be giving me to watch for next week, Jordan? See, now you've said that about Kubrick being ahead of his time and how it set so much precedent going forward, I'm kind of tempted to give you a Clockwork Orange because I don't think you've seen that either. I'm but, not. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go for Whiplash like I originally said just because I saw it this week and I know how good it is. Okay, nice. I I, uh, I actually have had that one on my list for a long time. Uh, I'm quite excited. I think uh, the, the the kind of scene, the odd scene here and there, and the trailer and stuff uh, makes me quite excited for uh, for J.K. Simmons' performance. And I kind of you you wanted to know, and you told me that early in the week. Oh, I think I might give you Whiplash. I I wasn't going to give you. Uh, what I what I was going to go for, and I kept the thing. I said British horror, uh, and you think I was going to give you Twenty Eight Days Later, which is not what I'm going to give you. And uh, have you had any idea, other ideas what I might give you? Wait, so it's still a British horror film though. You it's a British. Me. It's a British horror film. So my idea is that I didn't want to go for another one of these best hundred films of all time thing. I want to go for something that's a little bit more personalised, something that I like that maybe isn't the worst most loved film, isn't the, the a Shawshank or, or a Casablanca. I've gone for, and I you haven't got your letterbox, so I hope you haven't seen it. If you haven't, I've got backups. I've okay. gone for the, the a woman in black, the woman in black, starring Daniel Radcliffe. That, the Daniel Radcliffe one, I've not seen I've that. Seen that. See, like I've it. seen the stage. I've I've seen the stage play. Oh, have you? Um, but I've not seen the film. Okay, well that'll be a nice but comparison if, you can make between them. See, I th- see the thing is, is if you're going for a film that you like that other people might not necessarily like that I've not seen. I I, well, I heard want... the words whip flash confirmed. So well, I mean, I'm kind of tempted to unconfirm it now. I know you've said that. <laughs> but, well, I, well, it's up to you, but. I'm well, it depends. If you want to go for films next week that we've not, that people don't necessarily yeah, like as I'd... much as we do, then sure, I can go for that. Okay, it's up to you, man. If you want to, if you want to change, that's fine. But if you if you want to stick with uh, Whiplash, I'm more than happy to watch that as well. Oh, I'm so, I'm so conflicted now. <laughs> for what it's worth, I think the woman in black I've seen it uh, is a uh, is a very solid horror film. Actually, uh, there was one. I don't know if Sam noted that there's one, I don't know, five, ten minute period in the film, uh, particularly in, it's in an interior uh, part, so I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's, it's not quite at the end, but it's in the second half, I think, in, in the interior, five, ten minutes, where I was quite um, 
yeah, I, I was quite. It was quite intense. I mean, even as a horror buff like me, I feel like it yeah. was, there was a, there was a period where I was a little bit on edge. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily overall from one minute from the first minute to the end. I don't think it's necessarily a horrifying, terrifying, scary film. But I do watch quite a lot of horror films. I think it's a well crafted film. I think Daniel Radcliffe does quite well. And there is a five ten minute period, as I say, where it's very intense, and I feel like it was I was very on edge, and that's really well done. Uh, but I think it's quite a well done uh, adaptation of the play, yeah. and it's slightly different to the play, particularly the ending. Actually, is is quite is different, isn't it? Um, without spoiling it, I think I think it was one of those films where at the when it came out, it was really well liked. I think the audience really liked mm. it. It wasn't particularly critically as well received as, as it was by fans, and then over time, people have kind of kind of forgotten about it. I think the second one wasn't very good. Mm. So I think the thing but I think looking back, you know, I'm a little bit long, younger than both of you. Um I, I was I'm I'm nineteen now, so I was only eleven when the film mm. came out. I saw it when it came out. It was the first horror film I saw and it shat me up for weeks. Now I, I've watched it a, a few times since and um and I I love the film but uh yes yeah, it's not one it's one of those that is uh, it's a personal favourite that maybe, you know, it doesn't get on many top hundred lists but you know I, I thought it was a, it's a really, really scary film, really solid horror film and um, I love Danny Radcliffe. So yeah, we stick him with Whiplash. We stick him with Whiplash. Okay, I've decided. I'll, st- I'll stick with Whiplash since I confirmed. Okay. Since, you, since you're looking forward to watching it. <laughs> okay. But there is there is a film which I've got in mind for next time. We, next time we do this. Okay. So th- thank you for much, very much for listening. You can find uh, our, our, our guest Johnny uh, at yep. Sports Johnny on Twitter. No H in Johnny. Yeah, different content. Uh, you can that probably, but <laughs> yeah, that's sports. <laughs> yeah, sports. Yeah. But you know. Real sporty people. Arsenal still undefeated since the yeah, uh, new series came out. So, Excellent. so you know, I've got some good stuff. Uh, Vardy says hello. Yeah. <laughs> mate, that doesn't count, mate. He wasn't on the pitch. Got sent off for tackle on Mustafi. It's um, harsh that as well, I think. Yeah. The Nketiah was harsh. Yeah, and also yeah. Vardy definitely did deserve a red. Mm. And also, uh, <laughs> also, also Man, Man City uh, lost to Southampton. So you haven't been saying so much since the podcast started, Jordan. But you can find Jordan at, uh, is it JL McDonald on Twitter? No, that's correct? my letterbox. That's my letterbox. Oh, my, that's Twitter, letterbox. my Twitter is by John no, Luke. B-Y. Of course it is. Yeah. I have no idea what and my letterbox fine. is. I think it's uh, just... Yeah. Yours, I your, no idea. But yours is... Yeah, your, your letterbox is John B. Oh, it's the same as my PS4. Don't add me on that, but add me on letterbox. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is Jesus Claus, yeah. which is a little bit different. Yeah. And um, you, you can find... Oh, I have got sent a shout out this week because I just gave this podcast a shout out on that. I do another podcast. I do a podcast about mixed martial arts in case you're into the punching and kicking and grappling. And we just released a new episode to, uh, today uh, when this is coming out about UC2251, which is coming tomorrow. So um, if you if you like MMA, listen to Gatekeepers MMA. It's available on all the places that you find this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Happy to see you next week for Whiplash and uh, The Woman in Black. Thanks, guys.